and welcome to the New Life Lutheran Podcast, where new life in Christ is celebrated and we explore together how to live the Christian life with excellence. Thanks for listening today. You can find our podcast at nllutheranpodcast.com. You can also subscribe on Podbean, iTunes, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or Google Play Music. If you have any questions for Pastor Eric or would like to suggest topics for our podcast, you can email him at eric.anderson, that's E-R-I-K dot A-N-D-E-R-S-O-N at nllutheran.com. Let's get growing. days, John the Baptist appeared in the wilderness of Judea, proclaiming, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven has come near. This is the one of whom the prophet Isaiah spoke when he said, The voice of one crying out in the wilderness, Prepare the way of the Lord, make his path straight. Now John wore clothing of camel's hair with a leather belt around his waist, and his food was locusts and wild honey. Then the people of Jerusalem and all Judea were going out to him, and all the region along the Jordan. And they were baptized by him in the river Jordan, confessing their sins. But when he saw many Pharisees and Sadducees coming for baptism, he said to them, You brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the wrath to come, bear fruit worthy of repentance. Do not presume to say to yourselves, We have Abraham as our ancestor. For I tell you, God is able from these stones to raise up children to Abraham. Even now the axe is lying at the root of the trees. Every tree, therefore, that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. I baptize you with water for repentance, but one who is more powerful than I is coming after me. I am not worthy to carry his sandals. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand, and he will clear his threshing floor and will gather his wheat into the granary, but the chaff he will burn with unquenchable fire. Then Jesus came from Galilee to John at the Jordan to be baptized by him. John would have prevented him, saying, I need to be baptized by you, and do you come to me? But Jesus answered him, Let it be so now, for it is proper for us in this way to fulfill all righteousness. Then he consented. And when Jesus had been baptized, just as he came up from the water, suddenly the heavens were opened to him, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and alighting on him. And a voice from heaven said, This is my son, the beloved, with whom I am well pleased. The Gospel of the Lord. Well, I am Pastor Ben, and I get to start a new sermon series with you today called Unfiltered Jesus. But I bet that every one of you in your family has something that you guys do that brings you together. right? You have have something that you do that unites you. No matter what's going on in your family, no matter how hard it gets, you all have that one thing that you know if you participate in this activity, that it just tends to bring you all back together. Now, it could be anything, and you all have different things. Maybe for some of you, it's hiking, right? You love seeing God's creation and going on these adventures, and you love walking around together, and you love just talking and sharing life together, and those are a lot of your great experiences is hiking, Now for you, maybe not hiking is your thing. Maybe it's something like sports, 
right? You all have that team that you all celebrate. You all go through the highs and lows of their season together. You all have the jerseys. You love going to the ballpark or the stadium. You love it all. You love watching them on TV and you just love to celebrate and talk about your team. And that brings you together, right? That's your commonality of your family. Now, maybe for you, it's not those things, but maybe it's cards, right? You love to sit around a table. Maybe it's euchre. You play the game, you fight together, you play hard, you compete. It's a great time, right? You just love to play cards and to share life in that way. But we all have something, right? We all have something in our family that no matter how dysfunctional we are or how hard it gets, we have that one thing that brings us together. In my family, that one thing was move. Sorry, excuse me, was movies. We loved watching movies. And so typically on Saturday night or Sunday evening, we'd go down to our basement, we'd pop some popcorn, we'd turn on the surround sound system, and we'd just watch a great film together, right? We loved that. It always brought us together. So it should come as no surprise that now that I'm older and I have my own wife and my own kids, that I've infused that into my family's life too, right? So we go together, we sit down, we pop some popcorn, and we just sit down and enjoy a movie together. But there's a problem. My kids are very young, which means the movies are not always what I want to watch because often there's something that's Disney-related and they're typically cartoons, which means I'm not really enjoying myself to the fullest, right? So not everyone is really happy in that room besides my kids. And so I'm caught in this conundrum, right? Because if I watch a movie that I want to watch, there's always going to be a scene or a word that makes me feel uncomfortable because my kids are there, right? It's one of those moments when all the hair on the back of your neck just stands up. because like, oh, I didn't know that was in there or I forgot that was in there, right? And now my kids have seen it. And now what am I going to do? Well, My other brothers are the same way, right? They've had younger kids. Now they're a little bit older. They've gone through the same thing. And so they have the same struggle. They don't want to watch cartoons all the time. They want to watch some better stories that they enjoy. But there's always those moments where it's like, ah, I wish that wasn't in there. So my oldest brother, he would tell you that he's the smartest brother. But I have to say that he was the last one to get his master's. So, you know, I don't know. But he came up with a great idea. And this is what he did. He would buy the movie, he'd put it onto his computer, and then he would actually edit out all the bad parts of the movie. And then he'd put it back onto the disc, and then he'd play it for his family. So all the scenes and all those words, they weren't in the movie anymore. So this is a great way for him to get both, right? He could watch a family movie, he could watch the movie that he wanted to watch, but it didn't have those cringeworthy scenes in there. Now, now that I have kids, I'm having the same experience, but I don't want to spend all that time going through all that work. So I went online and I found this little app that actually will take out all the scenes that I don't want in my storyline. And it's very, very nice. So I can watch some more grown-up shows with my kids, but it won't have those words or those scenes in there. But over Christmas break, I had my sister-in-law who came to my house and she wanted to watch a movie. And I was doing some work here at church. I said, go ahead, just pop on my TV and watch whatever movie you want to watch. So she did. And when I got home, she said, what is wrong with your TV? I was watching this movie and these scenes were missing and these words were missing. It was incredibly hard to follow. In fact, I still don't have any idea what even happened in the movie. But isn't that true? If you're watching a movie and you remove certain scenes and you remove certain conversations that you actually don't know what you've just seen or it actually changes the whole storyline. You see, sometimes in church, we struggle with this. Sometimes we take out certain words or certain sections of the Bible because it's inconvenient or it's uncomfortable, and then we actually don't get the real storyline. 
You see, I don't want to be a church that does that. And I don't want you to be Christians who actually buy into a faith that doesn't actually talk about the whole real unfiltered Jesus. And so we're going to take over the next seven weeks and we're going to talk about the unfiltered real Jesus. We're going to dig into all the stories that make us a little bit uncomfortable. We're going to dig into all the sections that, that make us a little bit nervous because here's the truth. Jesus, even though he was always loving, sometimes he wasn't actually all that kind. And sometimes he wasn't all that nice. And if that's the Jesus that you have been taught, you're actually following in the footsteps of the wrong Jesus. So let's encounter the real unfiltered Jesus together, starting in the book of Matthew. In those days, John the Baptist appeared in the wilderness of Judea, proclaiming, so right away, as we step into Christ's story, we actually encounter a different character before their paths crossed. We're talking about John the Baptist. Now, just to be clear, this doesn't mean that John was Baptist, okay? It wasn't like John was Presbyterian or John was Lutheran. It wasn't like John the Catholic, right? This is just talking about what John did. This was the act that was really the, the pinnacle of his ministry. He was somebody who baptized people, right? That was his ministry. Now, as we look into his ministry, we see something really, really interesting. We see that he's doing it in a, a bizarre place. He's doing it in the wilderness. Now, in those days, this was really, really significant. You see, to be in the wilderness in those days meant that you were serving people who were of the lower class, right? If you had money, you lived in the city. If you had a little bit less money, you lived in a town. If you didn't have any money, you lived in the wilderness because that's where the cheap housing would be. It also meant that you might have been sick or an outcast. And what's so interesting is John plants his ministry right in this place, right in the wilderness, where the poor and the outcasts and the sick and the people that have been isolated from society are. And as he preaches, he says this message, repent for the kingdom of heaven has come near. In other words, what John is saying is, get ready, the king is coming. Now, we live in America and we don't have a king, so it's kind of hard to really wrap our minds around this. But in this culture and in this day, this would make perfect sense, right? If a new king was coming, you better get on the right team, right? If a new king comes in, he's going to want to know, are you a friend or a foe? Are you part of my team? Or are you the enemy? And John is saying, the king is coming, so you better figure out which team you were on. You better figure out if you're going to be on this king's side. Well, the writer moves on. This is the one whom the prophet Isaiah spoke when he said, the voice of one crying out in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make his path straight. You see, this section of Christ's life was recorded by Jesus' disciple, Matthew. And, and he was a, a Jewish guy speaking to Jewish people. And so he wanted to use the weight of the Hebrew Bible, the weight of the Old Testament to communicate to these people that who he was talking about was predicted, that God was working through this storyline. And so he brings up this, this prophecy from Isaiah talking about how this prophecy from Isaiah, 700 years old, was now being fulfilled in the person of John the Baptist. Amazing. Amazing that Isaiah predicted that this teacher would be in the wilderness preaching and preparing people for this moment when the king would come. Unbelievable. 700 years old. That's twice as old as our nation. Unbelievable. Well, Matthew continues. Now, John wore clothing of camel's hair with a leather belt around his waist, and his food was locusts and wild honey. 
See, the reason Matthew is recording this is because it's weird, right? It's not like it was normal in that day and it's weird today. This is just weird across the board, right? This type of clothing would be as weird if you went down to the mall and you saw a guy walking around with a camel's hair outfit, a leather belt, and he's just munching on some honey and wild locusts, right? This would be really, really, really bizarre. And that's what Matthew's saying is this guy was a, a little bit interesting, right? And people would take notice of what he wore and what he ate. It set him apart. Well, the story moves on. And then the people of Jerusalem and all Judea were going out to him and all the region along the Jordan, and they were baptized by him in the river Jordan, confessing their sins. You see, John starts his ministry in the wilderness and continues his ministry in the wilderness, but people around the region are getting word that there's this guy out there. He wears strange clothes and eats weird food, but his message is really good. And the crowds are growing and growing and growing, and people from the city are making their way all the way out into the wilderness to experience his message. And his message is simple, right? The king is coming, get ready. How do I get ready? Get baptized. Now, this is so interesting. And it's so interesting because in our day, baptism is pretty normal, right? We experience a lot of baptisms on Sundays and things like that. But in this day, baptism wasn't for everybody like we understand baptism. Baptism was only for the Gentiles, right? Only for the non-Jewish people. In fact, how it was used was this. If you were a Gentile and you want to become a Jewish person, right? You wanted to follow the Jewish faith. You were circumcised and you were baptized. It was a washing away of your Gentileness. That's what it was. So John is inviting all these Jewish people out into the wilderness. And he says, come be baptized. Come do something that the Gentiles do, which would be pretty much offensive to them. We're Jewish. We don't have to do that. Well, it catches the attention of more and more people, including the religious elites. But when he saw many Pharisees and Sadducees coming for baptism, he said to them, you brood of vipers who warned you to flee from the wrath to come, bear fruit worthy of repentance. You see, John sees the Pharisees and Sadducees coming forward. Now these were the religious elites and they had some things that weren't in common. That's why they had two separate groups. But for the most part, they were in lockstep that they would follow the law. And part of following the law was not being around people who didn't follow the law. In other words, they didn't have anything to do with Gentiles. So when they show up and John is offering baptism to Jewish people, they're curious, but there is no way they're going to participate. There's no way because assigning themselves to baptism meant they were aligning themselves with the Gentiles. And that is something they would not do. So John has some pretty harsh words for them, right? He calls them a brood of vipers. This is not a nice conversation he's having, but he is speaking from a spirit of love. He's speaking from a spirit of love because he generally does want them to step forward, to repent, to get on the right team. Well, he continues, do not presume to say to yourselves, we have Abraham as our ancestor. For I tell you, God is able from these stones to raise up children to Abraham. And he continues to go at them. He continues to tell them hard truth. He says, look, just because you are Jewish doesn't mean you are saved. Just because you have certain DNA in your cells doesn't mean that God's going to automatically save you. See, this was a lie they had bought into. Unfortunately, this is a lie that's crept into our American Christian church too in some sections of the world. 
in some sections of our, our Christian faith in America. This, this false notion that just because people have Jewish DNA in their body, that they'll automatically be saved. As if God is some sort of cosmic racist out there just picking certain groups of people to pick them and save them, but everyone else has to do it a different way. No, John is very clear. You are not saved because of your DNA, right? He wants them to know. He needs them to know the truth. And then he turns his direction to everybody else in the crowd, and he says these words. Even now, the axe is lying at the root of the trees. Every tree, therefore, that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. He's so clear. He's so clear. That those who are not on the right team, there's an un intended consequence, right? There's something bad that happens. What happens? You get cut down and you get burned up. He's talking about hell, right? He's not sugarcoating this, right? If you don't get in line with the king, you're an enemy of the king. Guess what happens? You go to a place where people go who are an enemy of the king. Well, he moves on. I baptize you with the water for repentance, but one who is more powerful than I is coming after me. I am not worthy to carry his sandals. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand, and he will clear his threshing floor and will gather his wheat into the granary, but the chaff he will burn with unquenchable fire. So now he begins to talk about Jesus, right? He's talking about the king. When the king shows up, this is what he's going to do. He's going to separate everyone into two groups. He's going to baptize with water, right, to save you. He's going to baptize you with fire for those who don't want a relationship with him. And then he goes on and makes it even more clear, right? He, he, he uses this analogy that we can all understand, right? If you're a wheat farmer and you harvest your wheat, you have the wheat and then you have the junk. The wheat is saved and the rest is burned up. Well, as he's saying this, this is what happens. Then Jesus came from Galilee to John at the Jordan to be baptized by him. So this is so interesting. John's message is very clear, right? Repent, be baptized, get ready. The king is coming and then the king shows up. But the king shows up to baptize, which seems so foreign because the king doesn't have to get ready for the king. And John seems to sense this tension. So he says this, I need to be baptized by you. And do you come to me? In other words, he's saying, no, 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 no. This isn't how it goes, Jesus. The king doesn't get baptized. The king doesn't get ready for the king. The king doesn't associate with everyone else. The king is up here and and we get ready for the king. That's how this works. Well, Jesus responds, let it be so now for it is proper for us in this way to fulfill all righteousness. Then he consented. You see, Jesus got down into the Jordan river with all the lowly and the dirty and the broken and the sinful. And he brought his righteousness into the muck So we could find our righteousness in the dirty and the broken and the sinful and the beautiful waters of Christ, where he washes those sins away. And then this happens. And when Jesus had been baptized, just as he came up from the water, suddenly the heavens were opened to him and he saw the spirit of God descending like a dove and alighting on him. And a voice from heaven said, this is my son, the beloved with whom I am well pleased. So God looks down at his son. He associates himself with the broken and the lowly and the sinful. And you expect him to say, whoa, 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 what are you doing? No. 
You don't hang out with people like that. You don't spend time with people like that. You don't associate with people like that. No, that's not what he says. He says, I approve. I approve. You are my son. I am well pleased and you are doing the right thing. So as we close out this conversation, I want you to do something. I want you to imagine yourself in this story like Christ put himself in this story, like Christ put himself in our story. I want you to imagine that you're living in the city of Jerusalem and you've heard the rumors about this eccentric guy out in the wilderness. He's baptizing people. He's got this message. He wears strange clothes and eats weird food. And you're so curious. You go, right? You got to see it for yourself. You can't just hear the stories. You've got to see it. And so you make your way out into the wilderness. And when you show up, you see something unexpected. It's a crowd. And as you look around the crowd, you see your friends and you see your family. You see some neighbors. You see a whole bunch of strangers you'd never seen before. And then you see all the religious leaders, right? All the religious elites, all these guys that you look up to. This crowd is so diverse. So interesting as you just look around. And you see John, he's in the water and he's preaching. And he's talking about this king who is coming. And you better get ready. You better get baptized. This king is coming. And you feel something strange in your heart. You feel like maybe you should step forward, but everything in your body says, no, right? This is for Gentiles. It's not for me. I'm a good Jewish person. I I don't do this. And you look over at the religious leaders and they're shaking their heads. Like they don't agree with John's message. They're not going to participate in this, but you feel like you should and you want to, but you're so nervous because what will people think in the midst of your conversation in your head? In the midst of your fears and your struggles, a young man walks out. You've never seen him before, but soon you'll understand how significant he is. He walks out into the water and all of a sudden something strange happens. Him and John are having this, this long conversation and John is throwing up his hands and shaking his head and, and he's just really agitated. And the young man speaks to him and finally John calms down and he nods and he baptizes this young man who later you'd find out is Jesus. And he pulls him out of the water. And as he's standing there, you realize something very significant has happened, even though you can't put your finger on it. And Jesus looks around the crowd and he finds you. And he makes eye contact with you. And he beckons you over. He invites you in because that's what baptism is. It's an invitation into relationship with God. It's an invitation into Christ's righteousness but you're too nervous. There's so many people. What will people say? But here's the thing. Following an unfiltered Jesus means following in his footsteps. means standing in front of a crowd and being baptized. means letting people wonder your story like they wondered his story. And not just being baptized, but every day remembering your baptism. Remembering what Christ has done for you. And remembering who you are and whose you are.